Greetings one and all in this bizarre dystopian nightmare we call our current shared reality, and welcome to the third installment of the OPCO podcast brought to you by the Possum Paranormal Coalition of the Ozarks of Ohio and beyond. I'm Donnie, and I'm here with founding member of the Possum Paranormal, Seth Daughtry, and tonight we have a special guest joining us. Our guest tonight is Ren Collier, and you may have heard him on a variety of alternative podcasts, including Where Did the Road Go, Charm the Water, uh, A Culture, or Strange Familiars, just to name a few. Tonight he joins us in the Opco Discord server to talk about the paranormal, the occult, and current events. So join us in welcoming Ren to the show. Welcome, man. Hey, everyone. Hey, man. It's great, great, great to have you here. Um, I don't know if you want to start off and uh maybe tell everybody just like a little bit about yourself maybe some of your creds yeah sure uh, we'll go from there okay so um i'm ren i am a practicing magician and a thalamite and i'm currently in um minneapolis minnesota in the twin cities um i'm originally from the south so originally from alabama i grew up there and just moved up here pretty recently and uh yeah, like I, you know, I'm really passionate about the study and development of the occult, um, passionate about making it accessible and available to everyone. And uh, I'm also, uh, you know, pretty passionate leftist and socialist, as I we, we talked about privately. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think these days uh, you kind of have to take a stance. It's like even yeah. what's considered left right now isn't really even left. It's just to, no. to the yeah. left of <laughs> to the left, left, of, of, left center. center. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, cool, yeah, man. There's no real left uh, coalition in the U.S., at least not with any power. Mm. No. None. Yeah, so, but, uh, uh, so how, how's the uh, quarantines treating you? Hmm. Are you? Are you locked into the house? Well, it's been all right. Honestly, I work from home anyway. Oh, so that part of my life didn't really change pretty much at all. Um, I guess things are, it's, it's more like my life hasn't really changed that much, but I can see other people's lives around me have changed a lot. And there's this, um, like I, I, me and my partner live separately. Uh, so I usually go over and travel and like visit her, um, especially like on the weekends and stuff. So I've kept doing that, but I haven't really been going out, you know, to bars or to restaurants or anything. Um, but I didn't do that that often to begin with, um, you know, kind of you know, 21 anymore. So I don't really go to bars that often. Yeah. Um, Me either. <laughs> yeah. So honestly, a lot, a lot hasn't really changed there, but just, dealing with this like sense of general unease and anxiety, you know, like uh, I had to make a run to the grocery store last night and just, you know, everybody's staying away from each other. There's this just tangible sense of doom in the air. That's like really creepy. It's really yeah. weird. Mm-hmm. Really weird. Especially like here in here where I, I live in, um, I live in Springfield, Missouri. And so, um, it's still kind of busy outside, but also like a lot of the parking lots are just really empty. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. really, really, really bizarre. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's kind of the same. I, I've always worked from home too. I work mm-hmm. in the medical industry and so does my wife. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> we, we never leave our apartment anyways. Like, so mm-hmm. it's really easy for us to just stay isolated, but. Yep. 
but uh no yeah we uh i guess tonight we were i was wanting to bring you on to talk about uh talk about Thelma a little bit more because mm-hmm. i uh kind of on our first episode i talked a little bit about it but i also said that it it kind of and see i i i'll be honest with you i have a pretty i have a pretty basic understanding because i just started getting into deeper occult stuff probably in the mm-hmm. beginning of this year okay. so i came into it um i said on the last episode or the first episode where uh it kind of had some i i don't really know if it's is it like egyptian overtones in it or is there anything mm-hmm. to do with that in there at all i mean there is like the the three sort of gods of thelema are uh egyptian yeah but um it's more like crowley adopted egyptian imagery for for some of it it's not necessarily like an egyptian religion gotcha it's that kind of like you know victorian fascination with egypt and ancient history that i think bled its way into it okay because i know i know uh, like he uh he went to what was it cairo is that Mm -hmm. right and he had was it was i don't it's pronounced iowas or aowas I say I was. Okay. That's kind of where I kind of go with it. Mm-hmm. And like talk to him and he wrote, was it the book of the law over like three days? Is that right? Yeah. Over three days. Basically okay. um, what happened was he was, he was honeymooning in Cairo with his wife um, Rose. And while they were there, he paid to have someone do a translation of the stele of revealing, which was this like uh, funeral stele. Um, and his, like, after they read it, I think, like, his wife Rose had this sort of channeling session where she was, like, channeling Horus or or something, and then later on that evening, Crowley started channeling the Book of the Law itself. He claimed it was being dictated to him by this entity named Iwas, and the Book of the Law itself, um, Libra Alvaligus, it's split into sort of three chapters, three parts, and each part is narrated by a different Thelemic entity. So the first part is narrated by uh, Nuit, the second part is who's like sort of the universe, the sky, sort of this female goddess. Uh, The second part is narrated by Hadith, who is this sort of like force of action, like you could say male force, but like force of action. And then the third part is narrated by Rahur Kuit, who's sort of a a combination god, but is is basically supposed to be Horus. Okay. Like Horus the child. Um, and yeah, it was actually recently, uh, right now we're in the depths of the Thelemic holy season. So um, it was around this time when the, uh, the three days were. So I'm not mistaken. I had to go look it up. I'm not a very good Thelemite in that I don't remember <laughs> all the holy days and stuff. I'm not that devout, but... Um, the the real thing about the Lema that appealed to me, um, because I originally I originally got involved with the OTO up here um, because I was listening to I think podcast I was listening to Glitch Bottle I think, and they were interviewing uh, Joseph Peterson, and Joseph Peterson mentioned I didn't realize that he lived in the Twin Cities and he started talking about uh, you know some local colleges I think Saint Olaf was one of them, and he mentioned that. You know, he he got some documents from there in his latest research. And I was like, oh, neat. Joseph Peterson lives here. That's kind of cool. 
and then he mentioned Sleeping Laughter Lodge, and I was like, wait, what is that? So like I look it up, and oh, it's an Oteo Lodge here. And at this point in my life, I didn't. It was like, I guess about a year and a half ago. I didn't really know anything about Dilemma. Um, I'd actually originally book of the early twenties, and at some point. I think our audio is cutting out. Yeah, I think, uh, Ren, if you can hear us, your audio is cutting out. Looks like they're still there. Yeah, I still hear it. I mean, I still see them in here. Uh-oh. This if can get one. Oh. Oh. <laughs> All right, I think, I think they're going to restart. Oh. Yeah. Hello. Just rejoining Kenny. Kind of here. It, it glitched out a little bit. Weird. Oh, there we go. Okay. Oh, I don't know if it's my internet. Can... Um. So, what what part did you uh, catch there? What should I, I reiterate? I think it was right whenever you were talking about. Um. It started cutting out right when you were talking about actually. Um. I think finding out about Joseph Peterson talking about the lodge. Yeah, so as I heard Joseph Peterson talk about Leaping Laughter Lodge here in Minneapolis, so I looked it up online, found out that it was a local OTO body, and uh, on their calendar, they had every Tuesday night, there was a ritual night, and it was kind of uh, proposed as almost like a, like a crafting night or something, like everyone could come work on their rituals, and uh, at the time, and, and I still am, I'm like deeply focused on like Renaissance magic, so grimoire magic, angel magic. And so I was like, oh, cool. Maybe I can go up there and talk to people about this. Uh, and I sat on the fence for, you know, probably a month or two. And I finally decided just to go. And what I found was a lot of really cool people who were practicing magicians who were really willing to talk to me and, and help me learn magic. It was super awesome. And that's really when I got exposed to dilemma as like a as a concept uh, because before you know I'd, I'd heard the whole because for people who aren't familiar with with dilemma at all dilemma is is you could say it's a religion but it's more of a let's say spiritual philosophy yeah that was uh, founded by uh, british occultist alistair crowley um and the basic tenet of dilemma is that there is one law, and that law is do what thou wilt. Like literally, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Love is the law, love under will. And I'd heard that when I was younger. Um, and people who have any sort of Wiccan background might be somewhat familiar with that, and there's a good reason for that that I'll, I'll talk about a little later. Um, but their version has a little, uh, you know, and it harm none, do what thou wilt, uh, which I think is should be left unstated. Yeah. But I'll get into that because <laughs> um, sometimes you got to you got to do a little hurrying. Um, but overall, like I'd heard that before. Right. And I thought, oh, well, that just sounds like. Uh, giving shitty people carte blanche to do whatever they want. Right. And feel like they're getting away with it. Um, I didn't have any really like nuanced understanding what that meant. And it was from talking to. Uh, specifically Scott Stinwick at Leaping Laughter, I was like, oh, what do what that will really means is that 
every person, because it, it requires this understanding of what, what Crowley means when he says will, right? Like, your will is your purpose, like your purpose in life. And the basic idea is that in order to live right, in order to, like, be happy and to, like, live your life properly, you need to be trying to accomplish, like, whatever your true purpose is, okay? And everyone has that purpose. And all of these kind of maladies spring out of not living your true will. Um, and the idea is that there is there should be nothing like nothing in the way of you trying to pursue your true will. Um, it also means too, like because there and there are some elements who are guilty of this <clears throat> of portraying this as a license to steal and kill and do whatever you want. Yeah, that's what I always worried about too. It's mm -hmm. like that part of it as well. Yeah, because this this is the way I think about it. And Crowley even, if you want to read Crowley's thoughts on this, he writes about this in Magic Without Tears, which is a really great series of letters between him and this uh, English lady. Um, but the idea is that if you steal from someone, if you somehow believe it's your true will to, like, I don't know, kill someone, right? All you're doing during that is is taking away their ability to follow their true will. Okay? So in, in since you're like breaking the law basically because right. you're preventing another human being from carrying out their will. Um, and the idea too, like one of the other main tenets of Thelema is that every man and every woman is a star, right? Um, you know, there's, there's a gender binary there because it was written in the 1900s, but the idea is that all people are equal, right? Like there's no, there's no reason anyone is, is better or than anyone else, right? It's a completely egalitarian viewpoint. Right. And when I started really thinking about this and, uh, you know, my own, like, leftist views, I realized, I was like, oh, the Lama is, like, literally, like, an anarchist spiritual system. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's, yeah, because it's, like, the idea is that, because how could you possibly follow your true will, Right if you are chained to wage slavery how can you follow your true will if you live in a society where all people aren't equal right where we have class differences um we have racism and poverty all of these things interfere with your ability to care like live your true will and that's what i started to realize at least in my own interpretation of Flema, was that like this is a spiritual system for people who are like unhappy with the current power structures that run the earth. And, you know, I was already sort of like in, in anarcho syndicalist or whatever beforehand. And the way Crowley's views on Thelema meshed with say like Godwin's writings on anarchism, like really, really like spoke to me. Um, and if you go back and kind of see what Crowley was trying to create, like you read about the, like the Abbey of Thelema that he tried to establish in Italy, uh, it was always meant to be sort of like a commune, like a commune or like communist system, right? His whole idea was that like Thelemites would take care of each other, that between Thelemites there wouldn't be like money, there wouldn't be, you know, everything would sort of be, there were like, I guess like mutual aid or whatever. Like, like no class or anything, kind of just how like communism is, where it takes exactly. away the class of like a people. 
Exactly. And and sort of my problem, I, but see, here's the thing, though. Like, Belema and the OTO aren't perfect. I'm not a huge fan of the OTO, personally. Um, but also, too, I want everyone to know, you don't have to be in the OTO to be a Thelemite. The OTO is its own thing. It's a Thelemic yeah. organization, but you don't have to have any of Like, people like Jake Stratton Kent are Thelemites, but they have nothing to do with the OTO. And in a lot of ways, you know, not, I don't know. I want to get kicked out, so I don't want to say too much. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you don't, you don't yeah. have to go into it super deep. Just like yeah. I just, I basically want everybody here that's listening, or like, because mm-hmm. we've got people listening right now, but we also have like people that are just have a have they're kind of just dipping into the occult. Like, mm-hmm. I want them to have a basic understanding of also other ideologies that they might be able to explore as well mm-hmm. as instead of just like you know Satanism or or yeah. something like that. So. It, it's funny because like a lot of people will try to paint Crowley as a, like a Satanist or Thelema as like a Satanist uh, organization or something. I mean, I've seen that. Yeah. Um, but it, it's it has like literally nothing to do with like Christian theology. Like, yeah, Satan it's just like it's just like true there. Satanism too. It's there's yeah. no there's no like I mean, would they use they use him at, like they use Satan as like an ideology or like a like a icon, but they don't. They don't believe in that, like, yeah. belief structure, so. I mean, calling Thelema Satanism is about the same as, like, calling Hinduism Satanism. It's, like, it just, it's a different <laughs> yeah. religion. Like, yeah. it's nothing to do with Christian theology. Um, one of the basic ideas, too, behind Thelema is that when the Book of the Law was transmitted to Crowley in 1904, that ushered in like the birth of a new aeon, right? And like a new chapter in history. And there's this whole idea of like aeonics. Um, currently, you know, at, at least this is what I believe, and this is what Crowley believed, that we currently live in the aeon of Horus or the aeon of the child. And the former aeon was the aeon of Osiris, which is um, sort of an aeon characterized by death and rebirth narratives, you know? So like your sort of Christ narrative, um, you know the osiris myth you know any all of these myths involving some sort of like self-sacrifice and then resurrection from the dead that like hallmarked the osiron age but now we live in the Anna of horus like the Anna of the child or the age of aquarius if you want to look at it in astrological terms yeah um, but the idea is that we live in a fundamentally different world now and in order to bring about like the change that's required. I mean, I don't know. I, I see things like the the UFO flaps of the 1940s and things like <clears throat> the Russian Revolution, um, you know, the crumbling of existing power structures into the 21st and 20th and 21st century. I see these all as outgrowths of the change of the aeons. And maybe I'm reading too much into it, but that's just kind of what I see. And, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, well, that makes sense. I mean, if you think about it, because especially like all of the, the UFO flaps and like everything back in the forties, um, that was a big thing for a lot of people there that had never, I mean, no one's ever really experienced that unless you go back to like those like sightings of like flying machines from like the 1800s. But yeah, but like, that was a really big cultural shift at the time. Um, Mm -hmm. everybody was like in a super like science fiction, Mm-hmm. There was all these like movies about UFOs coming around around, around that time, and it was just it was crazy. 
Um, uh, somebody just asked in the thing, do you think what is happening now uh, is a big thing? Like as in this pandemic, do you think that's also like some sort of cultural shift as well? I've been thinking about that a lot recently. I was even talking to my own my own Discord server about how, like, I don't know how many of your viewers have have watched Hellier. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> I I I, I preach that like every t- I, I'm trying to get everybody to watch it. I've watched it like four times, and like I think my wife is probably sick of me saying to tell everybody to watch it. But <laughs> she's also watched it too, and yeah, but yeah, continue on with what you're gonna say, man. So, in a lot of ways. So, so maybe I should back up just a second and talk a little bit about like the secret chiefs or whatever. Um, for people who don't have sort of a, a different worldview, this can be a little hard to wrap your head around, but I believe we live in a, in a world that's full of spirits, you know, different kinds and spirits that have agency, that have their own agendas, that uh, have the ability to make decisions and you know, form partnerships. And the idea of the secret chiefs is that there are this group and you could say that they're ascended masters. They're like ascended human beings. That's like one mythological basis for it. But I just kind of see them as spirits with a specific agenda. Um, they're sort of what in Hellier is referred to as like the fourth or, or the third order. Right? Yeah. It's ascended masters secret chiefs, the ones who found these secret societies like the Golden Dawn and and like um, and like I believe that at certain points in history they try to establish a current like a current of ideas and energy and change and in, in, the, in the case of the Lama, that's the 93 current. And the current itself like chooses groups of people that to try to establish it, right? To bring it out and to overtake the current, like uh, or the, the modern current. So earlier, the, the problem is the 93 current has failed at every opportunity over the last 100 years, or over 100 years now. Uh, Crowley's organization collapsed, uh, I think in the 50s or something. Like, the OTO basically fell apart. Like, Nazi Germany got rid of the OTO in Europe. Yeah. Um, and But it was still continuing in the U.S., which is where you had, like, the Agape Lodge and Jack Parsons and stuff. Um, but ultimately, it fell apart. It was later, like, recreated by Brady McMurtry. Um but the current, the current OTO is, I don't think, an organization that is doing the bidding of the current. Like, it's not like trying to bring in the Aeonoporus, okay? And okay. You know, people like Jack Parsons, like, blew himself up. You know, every, every opportunity for there to be, like, a movement forward with this current has been broken up. What I feel like the hellier thing is, and when I talked to Alan Greenfield, he kind of like agreed with me on this. I think it is the 93 current trying to reestablish itself in our modern world, right? And it chose the Newkirks because they were like 
they had enough of a following and enough of like the ability to produce the media that would reach people, but they were also weird enough to roll with it and not immediately be like, it's all demons or whatever. Yeah. You know? And so I, I think it is the current trying to reestablish itself. I, I think that Hellier is just a tiny part of it, but I think that there are a lot of big moves happening. And I think that this latest coronavirus thing is going to fun fundamentally change the world. Like, I don't think, and I'm sorry to say this to people, I don't think we're ever going back to the way it was before. No. No, I was thinking it's kind of like another 9-11 event. It is, yeah. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah, it, it is going to be a complete change in something. I, for better or worse, I don't know. Um, I will say that... Uh, at risk of sounding, you know, a little too revolutionary, this kind of is the perfect moment for there to be like an actual revolution. Oh, it is definitely, you know, with, with current existing structures collapsing, you know, so I don't know in, in two or three years, we may be living in a very different world. I think that our, um, a lot of folks support of more left-leaning ideas most mm -hmm. recently, um, you know, they've got the numbers. They, the giant capital letter, J, they with the air quotes, mm -hmm. they have all the numbers for people who actually support, uh, you know, the idea of supplying the people with health care and people mm -hmm. with, with these social programs that, you know, maybe could in increase our quality of life. And I think that, you know, it was pretty much now or never with this kind of thing right now because mm – -hmm. um, you know, everybody's in their house now. They're not out there protesting. They're not making mm -hmm. the revolution a revolution, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I was just talking to somebody about this earlier. What I think, I think a lot of people are waking up to this in this election, okay? Because I started this primary season very starry-eyed, you know, phone banking for Bernard, going out and canvassing, you know, really believing that <laughs> electoralism was still a thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm I've I've gone like full doomer mode at this point and I'm like, oh, it's all rigged. Like it's literally just all bullshit. And I'm wondering how many other people are gonna wake up to that. Like I was talking to to my partner today about how I feel like the like electoralism in this country, like the, the voting system, like the whole system that we, we think has has like control over this country. It's a lot like, like, you ever go to the grocery store and some of the carts have, like, a little steering wheel for your kid, like, that you sit, when you sit and, like, sit them in the little thing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's kind of like that. Like, our ability to, like, go out and vote and stuff is kind of like that little steering wheel. It's like, like you're, oh, you're, hey, you're, you're you big doofus. Yeah, you're yeah. your control, you big doofus. You, yeah, can, you, you can go ahead and do this. Sure. You're controlling the cart. You know, here you go. <laughs> you're making us go in all these directions. And it's kind of meant to just give us this illusion that we have some say in the matter. Yeah. When in reality, it's all planned and it's all sort of maybe maybe not planned down to the T. I'm sure there's still divisions and still rivalries and stuff, but I think it's mainly just a system to to keep to off valve people's frustration, right? Yeah. yeah. Um and I'm just wondering how many other people are gonna wake up to that because you know here's the problem though, and I've been reading up on this. Even if we wanted to have a revolution, um, like, 
I, I just don't think it would work. Like, it, the reason the Bolsheviks were able to win in the October Revolution was because they had support of like a large swath of the military and parts of the Navy. And, you know, they, they had this sort of existing power base they were able to pull together at the right moment. And I mean, we all know that the left doesn't have anything like that in America. No, you know, especially not in the military. Yeah. Um, especially not in things like police forces. And, mm. you know, I I was like, even if there was an, an like an actual uprising, it would get completely creamed. Like I just don't see it actually working. Especially not right now, because yeah. Yeah. everything's everything's controlled by just a bunch of like neoliberals in charge and. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's all it's all just an established, uh, I guess, power uh, yeah. of this, and it, and people are like, well, it, well, there's these two sides to it. It's like, no, there's really not. It's like <laughs> you're seeing these two things. There's 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 a, like a Democrat and like Republicans, but they're the same thing. Yeah, in, well, it's because in, they, in they don't have a cla- they don't have like a theory of class. Like they don't understand class. It's like you have the rich and the not rich you have mm-hmm. the people who control the means of production and the people who work you yeah. know like there there's a distinct difference and it doesn't have anything to do with politics you it's know? like that movie metropolis mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah metropolis we is a really good that, yeah yeah it's good I, I think i recommend that to somebody like while they're inside their house recently too so mm-hmm. i mean the, the big problem is that i, I guess i'd always kind of known that a lot of americans were just kind of brainwashed but i had i think underestimated the bovine quality of yeah. most of America. Well, yeah. Ren, on your website, uh, Liminal Room, mm-hmm. you talked about mm-hmm. the possibility of a man-in-the-middle cyber attack on the basic human senses, uh, theoretically mm-hmm. allowing for input going from your eyes to your visual receptors to be hacked and manipulated. Yep. And uh, you, you have a quote on there talking about how Sony has been renewing an annual patent for a machine that uses ultrasonics to plant sensory experiences directly into the brain. Um, yes. Do you worry about 5G technology being able to or, or actually doing things like this? I don't know about the 5G thing. I haven't really read enough on it enough. And I think it's because the people I usually hear talking about it are um, – I don't know. I'm not going to put anybody on blast, but l- let's just say like some of the cornier parts oh, yeah. of the conspiracy world. So I, sure. I tend to just think it's like a thing that – uh, like is not actually a thing because it, it feels like one of those, I don't know how to put this. It feels like one of those blinds, right? It's like something yeah. that I, I tend to like, look at whatever people are yelling about the loudest and think that, yeah, there's probably some truth to that, but what is being hidden by all this yelling? Like what, what's going on in the other hand, mm-hmm. you know? And I get the feeling too, like, I hate to say this, but I feel like so much of conspiracy culture in this country, a lot of the, you know, like this wraps into people talking about 5G, people talking about disclosure and everything. Mm-hmm. I can't help but feel like a lot of it is manipulated. Oh, yeah, for you sure. Like, Absolutely. Disinformation, disinformation everywhere. And stuff. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I know this is, I mean, we know this is true in the UFO world. Oh, oh yeah. for sure. Absolutely. There's always, there's always, always like that. And like, but, what, was, mm-hmm. wasn't like, wasn't Hynek supposed to be like a disinformation agent by some people or? I mean, possibly, yeah. possibly like Heineck. I mean, Heineck was a, he was a military guy. And so it makes it hard to trust him, but I don't know. Like Heineck. I'm I think he's pretty so genuine. Much, yeah. I think he was. I, I'm not so much worried about 
people like Heineck, but I, I think a lot of times too, and, and you know, people know this, this isn't like anything new, but a lot of times there is some truth to what's going on, but the idea is to make it so outrageous that it is like unable to, to be believed by like David Icke. normal people. Yeah, yeah. Because I think about like, if you look at a lot of the stuff that David Icke says mm-hmm. and just take out the lizard people thing. Yeah. All of a sudden, it makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, me and Sarah talk about that constantly. It's just like you watch his videos, and if you just change the language a little bit, like the structures are there for actual like <laughs> kind of elevation of mind, but then he puts in like terms that are kind of you know kooky, and I think that's yeah. how he stays out of trouble in a lot of areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because... I think you saw this really strongly in the whole PizzaGate phenomena, right? Oh yeah, because like, I mean, we all know now. And I was super guilty of this back during the Pizzagate stuff of being like, oh, this is all BS. This is all nonsense. And yeah, for a large part, it probably was. Because if you look at the people who were like most involved with it, like Cernovich, he's like a lackey of Dershowitz. So he, of course, like he he has some sort of role to play in this. But it wasn't until after the Epstein stuff came out that I realized, I was like, oh, well, some of this is true, like for sure. But it almost felt like the Pizzagate thing was an, a purposefully outrageous story that was put out there and loudly like loudly promoted by a lot of the conspiracy culture as a way to hide what was really going on and to add like an air of uh, disrepute to it so that normal people wouldn't look too much into it. They're like, oh, that's just yeah. crazy nonsense. Yeah, you know, I could see that. I, I could definitely see that because that's like a. I mean that's like a that's a that's a very big tactic of like even our government is just like calling everything fake or everything like crazy or weird or giving things wacky names. Mm-hmm. Even the term uh, cons- so they oh, sorry. Oh no no you're fine so it just discredits them so you can't just don't believe them. Yeah. yeah and you look at some of the people involved like Posobiec who is like I think he was army intelligence or naval intelligence I think he's naval intelligence. And anytime I see anyone involved in naval intelligence, I go like full Bill Cooper mode. (laughs) I'm just like, they are disinformation agents. Like every naval intelligence guy is like, like that's the the reason I was going insane like a couple months ago about Pete Buttigieg because he's like ex naval intelligence. Oh yeah, I'm like this dude is a CIA agent. (laughs) (laughs) How could you people not see this? And and I mean, you look at the history, I mean, just what's going on in the media now. You, you look at the history of the CIA's program, especially like uh, Operation Mockingbird, and this whole idea that, yeah, actually, like, it may not even be like a direct control kind of thing, but I feel like so much of the news media in this country is directly controlled by in- intelligence agencies. And that's what a lot of people don't realize about the CIA, like... Uh, they, they think that, it, of course, they you know they want people to think this. They give them this image of like, oh, they're protecting America. They're patriotic, you know. Yeah. yeah. When in reality, the CIA was founded by like Wall Street bankers and lawyers. Yeah. Right? From the very beginning, all they've cared about is protecting capitalism at all costs, mm-hmm. and that's all that they have done. And they've done and, it really effectively too. I mean, like yeah. look at all the famous people that have just you know died. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, was thinking, <laughs> I, mean, that, I mean, I could that list them, but Jesus. People laugh. I just heard the thing today um, about uh, Ghislaine Maxwell apparently saying that she wants the Epstein estate to like pay for her uh, legal fees or something. 
and but of course there's like no photo of her and like nobody actually knows where she is she's like still in hiding so i'm like i don't know if this is her because i honestly think that she's probably poured into the foundations of some building in saudi arabia like i just don't see her actually still being alive but yeah maybe. that's that's dark man but i mean that's not that's <laughs> not inaccurate i mean yeah. that's 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 a pretty legitimate fear cuz yeah i don't i'm just i mean me personally with like getting into like conspiracy it, it all started like i i started getting into like deeper thought probably like the beginning of this year i've always been into like things mm-hmm. like that but i was always like this stuff's ridiculous mm-hmm. why would i look into it and it's it's because i didn't want to like critically think and i used to be a really terrible centrist Mm-hmm. uh like <laughs> really awful i used to argue with my own wife over things i believed in <laughs> just because i wanted to argue half the time <laughs> so like it wasn't until uh like i just stopped caring about like my own past indoctrination to like christianity and like a bunch mm-hmm. of other things where i was just like fuck this i'm gonna start just actually caring about all these interests i've had since i was a kid and just start being like ex- extremely weird and thinking about all of these like conspiracies about like the government and like then i'd dive into it and i realized the government just fucking hates us and then it, it made <laughs> yeah. me into like a super left like weirdo where i'm just like oh, okay uh well i guess uh i just i'm gonna just go ahead and like tie a bandana around my face constantly and like riot somewhere i'm not really gonna do that <laughs> but like uh disclaimer but parody yeah. Yeah, yeah parody. It, it almost makes you want to, though. I mean, it's like it's so polarizing. You know what I mean? And it, seriously, yeah. though, it is very polar. Like the world that we live in is created to uh, incite a level of chaos, so we don't have our footing. You know, we're caught mm-hmm. flat-footed. It's all about alienation. That's yeah. what Mark said. You know, it's all about creating distance between people and communities. Yeah, and look what you we're know, doing now: shit. social distancing. Exactly. It's, this is like the final stage, you know, because it, it started out, you know, destroying the labor unions and destroying people's sense of like solidarity with each other. You know, yeah, like you, you can't even tell people like uh, like your your employers like don't don't tell your don't tell your fellow workers how much you make. Mm-hmm. It's like because that's gonna make that's gonna make them mad at at us. And it's like it's like or that's gonna make them mad at you that you make more. It's like no, it should make them mad at the job for like not not paying them like equal equally or whatever for stuff it's like it it turns it turns workers against each other instead of workers against the actual people that are the problem yeah imagine how how different things would be if if a lot of like workers knew how much they're how much more their managers Uh, i don't think people can fathom that and then and that's the thing like when you tell people um like you can you could say to them well like let's say for instance jeff bezos he makes like a hundred and like he's like worth like 110 billion right mm-hmm. people can't fathom that much money because we make so little that's as uh, much as an entire metropolitan area that's so much money i can't even think about that much like, like how what would that look like does would it look like a giant fuck all mountain of money in front of me i don't know it, it, probably <laughs> i have no yeah. idea and, and like people don't understand that like he's only able to make that amount of money because a lot of people, you'll see people like try to defend him and be like, "Oh well, it's his money and he earned it. He can do whatever he wants to with it. Wants to with it." Yeah. I'm like, he didn't earn that money. You know, that money was obtained by exploiting the labor of hundreds of thousands of other people. Yeah. You know, like if we lived in a just system, then Amazon would be a collectively owned company, and everybody who worked for Amazon would make a ton of money. 
right? Because they'd yeah. all get equal pay. Um, and again, too, like you like you mentioned, it's like a mountain of money. Like Jeff, like or here's here's like an example: somebody who's not even as rich as Bezos, uh, like Mike Bloomberg. So Mike Bloomberg spent more money than anyone in history on his failed presidential campaign. Yeah. Okay. But even the amount of money that he spent wasn't even 1% of his wealth. Yeah. The amount of money that he spent was the interest that he gets on his wealth. You know, like it literally cost him nothing. And that's what people don't get. Like, and we're so, we're so conditioned to just like lick boots these days. And it's Mm -hmm. like, I, I like I did a whole show about socialism on Conspira Normal, and one of the guys on the show was like, "Well, you know, I just consider myself a capitalist or whatever." And I was like, "Well, where do you work?" And he works at a fry stand at a mall. I'm like, "Well, do you own capital? Like, you know, you say you're a capitalist. Do you own? Is that your shop? Do you own the fryers? You know, and of course not. He's just an employee. So I'm like, all that labor that you put forth." All that money, all it does is just flow upwards. You get almost nothing of the amount of the value that you generate. Yeah, you get so little. Yeah, like like Means TV did a good uh, like man on the street thing about this, about kind of letting people know like the actual value of their labor. Like you know, you do this or you provide this service. Here's how much money it actually generates. Here's how much you're getting of that. Yeah, and I've seen some different graphics of that. And when people actually look at that, they understand pretty quickly oh i'm being screwed <laughs> yeah and you, you know? i mean you are it's like uh i i like to tell people a lot capitalism is like one of the only places where you can work 24 hours a day or like uh let's say like whoever's in charge of like the company they can they could be going on golf trips or vacations or like sitting in their house and they're constantly getting a stream of money in mm-hmm. but that's because we constantly don't we don't stop working as exactly. workers mm-hmm. and and it's the same thing with like I mean, right now we're seeing it with like um, land- landlords. Mm-hmm. We're paying the landlord's wages with our yeah. rent. Like they they own a house, but like they don't they don't have a job. And a lot of landlords are freaking out because they're not going to get paid anymore because we're not getting paid. <laughs> it's it's a weird system. Yeah, and people like people don't get this. Like, I was just fantasizing yesterday about like what would happen uh, if like a general strike was declared in this country. Like all like, because I was looking to think about how Trader Joe's employees like weren't being allowed to wear face masks or like gloves or whatever, and I was like, man, what if they all just had a strike? It <laughs> just didn't do anything. What would it do to that? Because that's what people don't people don't realize their own power. I'm like, your boss doesn't make any money unless you work. Yeah, you know, and if you don't work, he doesn't make any money either. And. I was just thinking, like, of all the jobs that are, like, currently – I mean, there's basically already the equivalent of a general strike going on. Yeah. You know, like, people like me, I'm still working because I work from home anyway. But, like, a lot of people are certainly not, like, working right now. Yeah. Um, the main people who are out there still working are, uh, you know, transportation, um, you know, hospitality, food service grocery store employees things like retail employees like what would happen if they literally all just stroke like had a strike mm-hmm. like this country's economy would just like crumble it would tank you know? like almost instantly yeah. well not not yeah. instantly but it would it would definitely take a big dive yeah 
Yeah. And in the comments section, uh, Soapwitch said, look at all the people considered essential employees who don't even make a living wage. Yeah, exactly. And that that's the crazy thing is that like, like why aren't these people getting hazard pay? Yeah. Yeah. They should be getting hazard pay. They, it, it mean, you know, a lot of people know this, but it's kind of insane that we live in a country where you could have two or three jobs work. 60 hours a week and still not make enough money to maybe just barely cover your rent. Yeah. You know, and the, the income inequality in this country has grown so outrageously over the last 30 years. It's like, I just wonder how, like how far it can go because right now income inequality in the U S is higher than it was in pre-revolutionary France. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. It is in at insane levels, and I just I see these videos of like like Gal Gadot seeing Imagine, or like Arnold Schwarzenegger like telling people to like you know to stay in their homes while he's like sitting in his jacuzzi like smoking a cigar. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm looking at all this. I'm like, are these people this? Do they do they believe in their own immortality this strongly? Yeah, they like, don't. They don't. They don't know what they've they've lost connection of what it's like to be an average person like mm -hmm. I, sh I shared i saw something on like twitter where, where like the cnn was like talking about like people going right out of college and making an eighty thousand dollar a year job i was like that doesn't yes. fucking happen yeah. no that, one yeah. fucking makes that money right out of college unless like mm -hmm. you're just super lucky yeah <laughs> it's just ridiculous and they're like if you can't get by on eighty thousand dollars a year you should just like i don't know fucking die or something and it's like I, no, one, <laughs> no one makes that much money yeah it's, it's wild. And the, the disparity between that is just what I don't understand it. You know, like, I, I think you saw, like, the joke I made uh, on Twitter where I was, like, um, about the Gal Gadot video being, like, or uh, CIA GoFundMe, I think, made the joke that they were, like, Marie Antoinette sings John Lennon's Imagine <laughs> with other French aristocrats. Yeah. That's really And good. I'm just wondering, like, I mean, I don't know. I just I look at these like photo like Kylie Jenner I think today was like had posted a photo where she's like what should I watch on Netflix or whatever, and she's like in this like gold plated living room with like a huge bottle like wine rack behind her with all these <laughs> bottles, God. and I'm just like, are these people this like tone deaf like yeah because it's I just really... can't imagine this going on much longer without people mm. storming these mansions you know yeah. Like, I saw a show a while back, and it was a few years ago, but it was showing how these mansions are basically like fortresses. There are like mm -hmm. defense companies who come in, and they like have barricading doors that come down that lock, and uh, there's like gun yeah. turrets built into the hallways and like Holy gas chamber hallways. And and these are <laughs> these are in L.A. These are in you know Virginia. <laughs> these are like high ranking like government officials. These are people in the movie industry, and mm -hmm. you know. I mean, it was a TV show, you know what I mean? It's not just some mm -hmm. conspiracy theory. It was, it was pretty fucking crazy. So I, I imagine that Kylie Jenner is probably sitting in one of those fortresses, so she doesn't really <laughs> mind that much. Yeah, I mean, there was that article, um, I think a Business Insider or something. It was pretty recent about this guy who was consulting with these billionaires and about sort of like doomsday scenarios because a lot of billionaires are like doomsday prepper guys. And... uh one of them wanted to know like what the best way to control his personal security forces would be, you know, in a, in a shit hit the fan situation. 
and you know there were some different ideas like well you could make them wear like shock collars or you could hold their families like hostage and say if they you know, didn't cooperate Jesus. that you'd kill their wife and child or that you could control like if you were a billionaire and you had these private security forces like you could basically have like food dispensers that dispense food to these people like animals and only you like have the key for it and it doesn't like dispense the food uh you know, unless you authorize it each day or something. So they like have to keep you alive. And that's like, this is how these people think. This is like from the road warrior or whatever that movie is that Mad Max movie, wherever it road to whatever. Oh, Fury road. Yeah. Fury road with the, uh, the guy with the water and the Bane mask. Yeah. Uh, important Joe. Is that who it was? I think that's his name. These people are really contemplating being that guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I don't know how many people have watched the recent like Netflix show, um, like Altered Carbon. Well, it had a second season recently. It came out a couple of years ago. Um, but that vision of a future in which, like, that is one of the scariest shows I've ever watched. And I don't know how many people are familiar with it, but the, the basic idea behind it is that um, you can sort of back up your mind to a, like a hard drive and sort of re, you know, resurrect yourself if you ever die. And all of the super rich people, they're all like hundreds and hundreds of years old. And they all kind of live in these cities in the sky. uh, And they're like unkillable. Because even if you were to assassinate them, they would just reboot themselves somewhere else in a different body. And that I feel like, like some people look at that and they're like, yes, that's what (laughs) I want to be that. You know, like that's why I get so creeped out by people like Bezos and and Elon Musk who talk about like space colonies and stuff. Because I'm like... They'll leave us all here. <laughs> exactly. You know, like you, you, I've said it before, like you can't ascend to the throne of heaven without building the throne in heaven. Yeah. You know, like what is the, if you want to control the population of earth and, and never, ever have to worry about revolt or, you know, storming your, your mansion, what better place than on Mars or on the moon or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like Elysium or something. Yeah. Like it's, it's ridiculous to think about that. And like, I don't know. It's it, that also makes me think of like all these times. It's kind of similar where people like they want like that future where mm-hmm. they can be like this. They they can like go from body to body, but it's like you're never gonna be that. Like you're not yeah. gonna get that power. No. Yep. And it's like people like today where they defend billionaires. It's like well they worked hard for that money. It's like no, they didn't. And you're never gonna be one of those people. Like because you were not yeah. born into that. Yeah. Like you can you can work hard and make a okay wage, but you're never gonna like be able to work hard and get to that level of richness so why do you care yeah and a lot of people don't even think like they think that people like bezos just built this thing from the ground up or whatever no and what they don't realize is that like he had like a huge amount of seed money from his like rich parents and stuff like yeah maybe there are a few success stories out there but you're not going to be one of those success stories yeah like my my uncle was pretty successful but and he he his actually was hard work. Like he was like it. Like he was born poor, mm-hmm. and like he worked. But it was also like he started doing it back in like the seventies and six in mm-hmm. like fifties or not fifties but seventies and like eighties. So like it was a, it was a little bit easier back then to like kind of get into there and actually buy a, a whole entire like shipping business or something. Yeah, well, even that like a lot of those people. People don't I, it, like we mentioned before. People don't understand like how rich the one percent actually are. Yeah. Like people look at 
you know, small to medium business owner who, you know, maybe has like a million, two million in the bank. People like Bernie Sanders, you know, like everybody makes a big deal out of Bernie Sanders having a million dollars. I'm like, you don't understand. That's not that much money. That's yeah. pretty low in comparison. Yeah, that's like literally not that much money. You're just everyone in this country is so poor that it seems like an astronomical amount of money to them. But yeah. it's like you have no idea how much richer some parts of the some part of population is like, you know, like my my partner's uh granddad uh he opened like one of the first midas mufflers in georgia or something and you know he made i think he was like a millionaire and like you know like he he left all of his grandchildren like a nice like you know trust fund and stuff like that um but like that is wealthy but not in the way we're talking about people like bezos yeah that's just it's like uh, they could spend a billion dollars and it's like like they when, yeah. uh, my favorite thing is like when they donate to charities oh yeah and it's yeah. like it's it is good they do that I, I, let, let me let me phrase that it's good that they're donating money to those charities because those charities need it mm-hmm. but they could definitely donate way more than they do <laughs> but the, like, amount, the amount they donate is like basically the interest on their principal yeah, wealth it's like like i think nothing he donated like 90 what was it 90 something million mm-hmm. uh like a while back to, i can't remember what charity it was but like people were like Oh, he's such a good guy. I was like, you have no idea in comparison to how much more money he has. Like yeah. that was like that's like me donating like five dollars to somebody or like twenty yeah. or yeah. maybe a hundred to somebody. Exactly. Yeah. Soapwitch is in the comment section and said Bloomberg spent more on his press campaign uh, or his presidential campaign than Michael Jackson was worth when he died. <laughs> oh, that's sad. That's really sad. Like that is astronomical. <clears throat> yeah. I, I was talking to the other day on online. Uh, with some people because I had posted a thing that was talking about how uh, the stock market's kind of a sham for the ultra-rich because mm-hmm. it, it's really just a tool for them to kind of fleece people for money while also uh, tying in the average person's futures into their success. So like 401ks, you know, the stock market has to be healthy for those things to actually mature. and yep. And so, you know, people have this tendency to like – really defend the stock market which is like only really good for for the ultra elite people who actually have millions and millions of dollars to dump into these stocks that you know they know mm-hmm. beforehand typically what's going to happen it's it, it's a total disconnect yeah yeah i mean insider trading is absolutely rampant um you know occasionally people get caught for it but for the most part they don't i mean there's a lot of people getting caught look at all these ceos who right before this whole covid thing happened they are all starting to like step away yeah, cash out knew. cash out their stocks yep and, and now they're in their bunkers yeah and for some reason it's not a huge deal and the the thing is a lot of, not a lot of people understand like the concept of short selling yeah and it's like you don't understand they make money on the way down too yeah. <laughs> you know they make money both ways they make money it goes up they make money when the stock market goes down it's yeah. just a, it's just a big money printing machine for the rich because unless you have like a ton of startup capital you're like the stock market's never going to be a good deal for you yeah there's always too much risk it's always too much of a gamble mm-hmm. unless you can diversify to the point where you're always winning yeah exactly just wild you know and i i'd like to reach out to any listener out there too if you guys if any of you know uh, anybody that has a, a portable truck with a welder on it, uh, I am a welder, and I will gladly 
start welding the the bunker doors shut on all these rich people that are locked in. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm really good at MIG welding, uh, arc welding, and TIG welding. Just uh, g- g- give me a holler. I'll, I'll offer my service. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. I get so fired up whenever I talk about stuff like this, and sometimes I have to <laughs> – I like I like to I don't know I often uh, there's been a couple times where I'll just I'll sit there and I like to call myself uh, drunkenly a true patriot half the time because I want freedom for like everyone not just mm-hmm. uh, not just the the rich minority yeah I mean that's what like going back to our original topic that's what Thelema yeah. wants like that's what Thelema is it's it's like a philosophy of freedom. Um, like, how are you guys familiar with Lieber Oz? <sighs> I've heard it like whenever yeah. I looked up stuff, but no, I'm not gonna be honest with you, I haven't. So Lieber Oz is basically, it's like the Thelemic Bill of Rights. It's like one page, and I'll just real quickly read over it. Okay. Um, and this basically like sums up. This is like sums up what Thelema is to me. Like, uh, you know, do what thou wilt, should be the whole the law. Thou hast no right but to do thy will. Do that, and no other shall say nay. And every man and every woman is a star. And the main thing is, like, there is no God but man. Man has the right to live by his own law, to live in the way that he wills to do, to work as he will, to play as he will, to rest as he will, to die when and how he will. Man has the right to eat what he will, to drink what he will, to dwell where he will, to move as he will upon the face of the earth. Man has the right to think what he will, speak what he will, write what he will, to draw, paint, carve, etch, mold, and build as he will, and to dress as he will. Man has the right to love as he will. Man has the right to kill those who would thwart these rights. And, like, to me, like, I, I talked first uh, about the do what thou wilt and, and it harm none thing that, that um, Wiccans have, uh, sort of the threefold law thing. Um that actually comes from the layman. It comes from Crowley. Not a lot of people realize that uh, the the whole Wiccan religion is basically the layma with like a mix of like some Freemasonry. Yeah. With this sort of pastiche of like a nature religion slapped on top of it. Um, most of the sort of Wiccan stuff comes from Crowley. Um, he, you know, as like through the filter of Gerald Gardner. Uh, if we're talking about Gardnerian Wiccan. Yeah, but yeah, I mean that 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 last point, like that's what I think is like so. That's what gets me really fired up about it because it's like you have the right to do all of these things, and you also have the right to defend these rights if someone would try to take them away from you. You know, like I think that that's like a really powerful statement. It um, is, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, yeah, we I all might... have the right to kind of like live as we would want to live. Yeah, and I, I think that, that that was kind of the whole point of this giant experiment of America, or at least that's what we were fed, you know, is that mm-hmm. everybody has these inalienable rights where, you know, we can be who we want to be. We have the right to pursue happiness in whatever form that mm-hmm. is. We don't have to be uh, tied around with um, the trappings of religion of one person or another, and we get to actually, mm-hmm. you know, find that for ourselves. I mean that's that's I guess the idea, or at least that's what the founding fathers told themselves. But but it didn't it didn't get no, carried out very absolutely. well. Absolutely. Well, even yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. It didn't even get carried out when they instituted it. Yeah. I mean, like people don't realize that like only land owning white men could vote. 
for yeah. like a long yeah. time. You know, it, it literally like if you didn't know if you weren't like a landowner, you weren't allowed to. Um, even though there's a lot of really lofty language in the Bill of Rights and the Declaration of Independence and everything, mm-hmm. when you actually look at the fact that they own slaves, that they restricted voting to like basically the wealthiest people in the country, it becomes obvious too that they weren't even they didn't even really believe what they were writing. Because if they did, at least, you know, most of them would have been a whole lot different. Yeah. Uh, but it's unfortunate because, I mean, I, I think the idea is there. Yeah, the idea is there. It's just they had a lot of, like, um, dehumanization of other groups due to, like, previous religions and things that they were participating in. Yeah. Well, the tendency towards, I don't know, this this country has always had this tendency towards racism and genocide that... I mean, it is obvious to anybody who's familiar with the history of like our treatment of the indigenous peoples of this country. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even up to the fact that like eugenics and, and stuff were like super popular. That's all people realize about like we start looking into the conspiracy culture stuff about like Operation Paperclip. We started that. Yeah. Like we we were the ones that started eugenics. Like in the yeah. the, the Nazis kind of got that idea from us. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and and you, you start looking at how many people in america loved the nazi <laughs> yeah they did there was like well that's like that was like bear i mean i don't i've heard this places didn't didn't bear like actually like pay the nazis to like be able to use like a like like concentration camp like the people to like actually like experiment drugs on right probably i don't i don't know about that one i know about the ibm where like ibm was supplying them with uh you know counting solutions yeah and I mean, even it goes like in the history of like the most powerful people in this country too. Like, uh, I, I think it was Vannevar Bush, like George Bush's like grandfather, or maybe it was his, it was that's, the first. That's Bush's a wild name. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, that's a like, really wild name, Vannevar Bush or whatever. But he was yeah. he got in trouble because he was like basically doing like banking for Nazis, like in yeah. during World War II, like while we were at war. With them, <laughs> yeah, he was like still doing banking stuff for them, and I, I think like. Uh, I think FDR told him to knock it off or something. I have to go look up the history on that. But like Henry Ford used to distribute like, uh, you know, the the international Jew or like whatever that anti-Jewish tract was to his own employees, you know, like they loved, they loved him. They loved Hitler. And it was like, that's why I I think like so many, you know, Nazi scientists, when they came over, you know, they came over to America, they brought him over because, hey, like, you know, it's nothing personal, guys. We, you know, we're all on the same page here. Yeah. Why don't you come over here and work for us now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like we're we're kind of like this, but we're just uh, sugar free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Like, yeah. Come on over here and be- and start NASA and everything else. Yeah. It's like a, pe- a lot of people don't even realize. Like, uh, like, are you guys familiar with the Galen organization within the CIA? No. Oh, no. Okay, so a lot, of, a lot of people realize this, but there was an entire CIA division called the Galen Organization um, that was run by this like Nazi spy master, Galen. And he said, yeah, I'll come work for the CIA. Because he was like, uh, he was Nazi Germany's spy master uh, kind of in their anti-Soviet operations, right? So he was like, yeah, I'll come work for the CIA, but only if I can bring all my own guys and there is no oversight over my activities, <laughs> and I have complete control. Oof. And they were like, sure. Yeah, cool. absolutely. Okay. Come on. Yeah, come on, man. We're, we're cool. 
Oh man, <laughs> that's yeah. I, I mean, I I knew about Operation Paperclip a little bit, but like. We're going to be diving. I think eventually uh, I talked to Donnie about this. We're going to do an episode over like the occult and also Nazi Germany. Cause mm-hmm. I think, I think in my opinion, um, I I've tried looking it up like the Thule society and things mm-hmm. like that, because there's still people that like, I don't know if the Thule society is still active. I'm pretty sure in some form it's gotta be because I still see people mm-hmm. using their symbology online. On, yeah. Like, online. Well, I mean, there's, there's always, there's like, I think the people who are doing it online are probably just just cosplaying. Yeah, yeah they're just cosplaying basically. <laughs> but I, I mean, you guys should read if you haven't read it. Read uh, Peter Lavenda's Unholy Alliance. Um, oh yeah, that's on my list. On, it's actually on my Amazon wish list right now. Yeah, that that's totally what you're looking for if you want to do a show about that. Because um, when when Lavenda, I, you know, there's the whole thing at the end of the war. You know, the Nazis went to like South America, Argentina, and stuff. But Lavenda actually went down there, and he he found one of these like German villages, <laughs> like in the mountains there, and kind of got you know captured and interrogated, and was like kicked out of the country and never allowed to come back. <laughs> um, so these people are still out there. Oh yeah. Um, and I mean, some of them are here. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, Philip K. Dick said this. He said that Germany lost World War II and the Nazis won. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, sure, Nazi Germany may have fallen apart, but the all of the most powerful people in the Nazi party went on to prestigious positions inside of the United States and Russia and a bunch of other countries. Like, you know, they all kind of just, like, got tickets out. I mean, even the history of our own rocketry program, uh, you know, a lot of people – like to remember Werner von Braun as being this, you know, father of rocketry and all this kind of stuff. But man, he he was a died in the wool, diehard Nazi. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. There's this is still, a whole different topic, but well, a <laughs> yeah. lot of them, a lot of them escaped to Argentina. Earlier, we kind of touched yeah. on the. Um, we mentioned the movie Metropolis. Yeah, yeah. And the original version of Metropolis was. Uh, originally a lot longer than the one that had gotten popular because there was a lot of mm-hmm. missing footage that the German government actually had removed from the film before they released it. Oh, and yeah, yeah. There's been a, a recent discovery in the past few years or so where they've found that missing footage and then they placed it back in the film. But the missing footage from this German film that the German government had seized was found in Argentina. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I see. I didn't even know about that. And I used to like, I used to fall asleep watching Metropolis when I was like eighteen, because I was like a into industrial music and wore goggles on my head. So it's <laughs> awesome. There's still a ton of like, you know, stuff that went missing at the end of the war. Things like Nazi gold, um, you know, artifacts they looted from from Jewish people, museums, all this kind of stuff. A lot of it's still missing. Yeah. Um, like, I don't know whatever happened. I need to follow up and see what happened. There was these group of guys, I think in Poland or something, but they had they were claiming that they had found the location of this like train that that was carrying a ton of like Nazi gold that was basically like sealed inside of a mountain, and they wow. had found like the location. But I don't know if anything ever came of that because they hadn't like excavated it yet. But there was like a submarine I think that was like filled with gold that was kind of never seen again. Wow. Um, I don't know. It makes me. I think, back into my occult interest because like a big aspect of like remore magic is like treasure magic, like calling up spirits to help you find treasure. And I'm like, <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. She called up some spirits to help me find some of this Nazi gold. Yeah. 
I think that's in. I think the the submarine thing is in. <laughs> I, I play a lot of video games. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it's in the first Uncharted. You actually Probably, like. Yeah, yeah. It's like the very first thing you do is you find a submarine that's in the middle of a jungle somewhere, and like uh, you go into it, but it's in the middle of a jungle in like a river, mm-hmm. um, and it's like somehow just stuck there. But yeah, I think I'm pretty sure that that's in that. It's pretty funny. Yeah, it's a pretty well-known story, and you know, I just wonder, like, and you know, there's the whole black budget thing to go back to conspiracy culture, where it's like, you know, we we know about all the money like Jeff Bezos has, but like, what about the sort of trillions of dollars that just vanish, yeah, like, into nothing? Like, what is it all being used for? You know, some people believe it's like a secret space program. Like, I don't know where I fall on that spectrum, um, but I will say, if you wanted to. I don't know if you wanted to build exotic technology, you're going to need a lot of money. So maybe that's where that money goes. Some people think that a lot of the money goes to underground bases, like that there's like Mm -hmm. secret highways and trains underneath the ground. Mm -hmm. Especially, especially where, uh, where Seth, where you are in the Ozarks, there's like, um, I don't know. I think Jesse Ventura did an episode on Pensmore mansion. Have you heard about that? No. Pensmore Mansion is is like, it's bigger than the White House. It's supposed to be a single person residence, but it's as big as like, it, it it's literally like a, out, a castle. It's out near Branson, out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I've seen it from the highway. It's like you have to go there by like, um, you have to like get there by like a helicopter, don't you? Yeah, my cousin. It's something crazy. I have a cousin who was one of the first people who were allowed to go to the property to take photos. Uh, she was a photographer. And she says that there were places in the the house she was not allowed to go, and that there were in the back of the house. There's actually uh, some docks, like at you know, like warehouse docks, that a, an entire tractor trailer could drive into, oh. and that hmm. s- supposedly there are like seven levels under the ground built into the cave system. Oh, I could believe that. Yeah. So I don't know something crazy, but the guy who. Uh, built that house also created um like some of the gps satellites huh. for like the star wars program yeah, yeah. yeah I, need, I need to look that up yeah it's it's pretty insane you almost wonder like the idea of like having this whole secret space program is really evocative but part of me almost wonders too that money just like you said just isn't being hoarded mm-hmm. you know it, it like removed from you know, like being fed back into the population. Because I, I get this sense, like we know Exxon knew that the sea levels were going to rise by so many feet, you know, within so many years because they raised this, like they raised the stilts in their oil platforms to compensate for it. So part of me almost wonders if the ultra rich aren't basically just like hoarding all the resources they could possibly do, like just extracting every last drop of the milkshake. Um, so that, because they know that like earth as it exists currently is doomed. Yeah. Right. It's going like, there's nothing they can do about it because their only options are redistribute their wealth and like kind of save the planet that way. But then they would also lose their power. Yeah. And basic psychology says that people will always try to hang on to their power, um, even if, like, on a sinking ship, you know? 
Like they'll always try to maintain control. I think, I think it's thing we're seeing with the Democrats where um, they don't care about losing the general election as long as they can keep their Senate seats. Like that's all they really mm-hmm. care about, you know, is their yeah. own position. And so I, I wonder if the idea isn't to just suck up all the resources you can and then basically wait for shit at the fan and wait it out, like ride out the storm and let all of the normal people like us tear each other apart. And then they can reemerge from their bunkers and, and have a fresh, clean, new earth that they can then control ultimately without any resistance, like forever and ever. That's the goal. Or at least that's that's what uh, I mean. Look, I, I and okay. So I don't believe in biblical prophecy. I believe mm-hmm. in there's some store some some patterns to history that some people used to know and other people weren't allowed to know, and some mm-hmm. of that may have been encoded in the Bible. Um, and, and because if you look at and this is going to sound so fucking crazy uh in 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 don't worry i'm i'm down for it so in the book of <laughs> in the book of revelation it talks about a lot of different talk about heaven and then social upheaval that would be needed to happen mm-hmm. first before this new jerusalem could appear and mm-hmm. the thing is that the actual text itself talks about new jerusalem coming down to earth out of the sky and it having you know a very few people get to actually go into it but it's got yeah i mean look at the descriptions of it it's got like you know everything's made out of like gemstones and gold and pearls and stuff and it's Mm -hmm. you know only a few people after this you know end of the world scenario are allowed to live in that kind of luxury yeah you know it it Mm -hmm. doesn't really talk much about the other people (laughs) yeah i guess and don't discount the fact that i mean you could be onto something there because i don't don't discount it at all that a huge swath of the sort of elite in this country, maybe not the super elite, but a lot of like people in politics are like sort of Christian uh, eschatologists or apocalypticists. Um, Mm -hmm. I know we know like Lindsey Graham, for example, is like totally on board with this and, you know, thinks that we need to, I mean, you saw a lot of this when uh, Trump moved the embassy to Jerusalem. Yeah. Because they were like, oh, well, you know, this is setting the stage for sort of the final battle. And so you see a lot of these people like Lindsey Graham making trips over to Israel. Um, and, I mean, I don't know. Like, even if it's not something that's, like, real in the sense that it's actually going to happen, I think there's a large swath of people who want it to happen enough that they're going to try to make it happen. I mean, it's a cultural phenomenon just like anything else, mm-hmm. you know, like an egregore. Mm-hmm. You know, if enough people believe yeah. it, they just accept when those things happen. And they mm-hmm. eschew everything else, so you know it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy at that point. Yeah. You know, I just I see like, well, I don't know. Lost my train of thought there. <laughs> <laughs> it happens to me like constantly, but my brain uh, continuously goes over a thousand ideas all at once half a time. So. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking of with the COVID-19 thing. So if you guys want to get like real tinfoil hat for a second, um, you remember when the COVID-19 stuff first started coming out and there were like these papers saying that it looked like it was an engineered virus? Yeah. Okay. So like I haven't heard anything about that. I heard some people like debunking it, mm-hmm. but like I just haven't looked into that enough because that was very 
provocative, especially when you start looking at who the lab that it supposedly was created at. Yeah, Bill Gates's lab. Bill Gates's lab. And Bill Gates is, uh, you know, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is very much like one of their obsessions is like population control and overpopulation, which let's be clear to, to all your listeners. The overpopulation thing is a myth. Mm-hmm. There is plenty of space on earth and plenty of resources for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like if you really look at it, the only people ever yelling about overpopulation are the richest and most powerful people. Yeah. Okay. It's so, because they, they exploit all of those things. Exactly. So you yeah. should, yeah, definitely the over overpopulation thing is, is nonsense. Um, but people like Bill Gates are like obsessed with it. And have either of you watched the BBC series Utopia? No. Okay, so one of the sort of major plot, you should definitely, all of you go watch Utopia. It's only like two seasons. It unfortunately didn't really, got kind of cut short, but it's it's an amazing show. Um, but one of the major plot points is that the government, or this, not the government, but like this kind of shadowy organization is wanting to release this virus that will make most of the population on Earth like sterile. <clears throat> Uh, in this attempt to like curb like overpopulation, like this sort of Malthusian, you know, uh, crisis. That in reality is is not going to happen and is is total myth anyway. But I just I look at the fact that he was one of the people who owned that lab. There were all these things that came out saying it looked like it was an engineered virus, and then it started in a place like China where. Uh, maybe someone knew that it, it would be able to spread from there outward. Mm-hmm. And if I get super conspiratorial, I'm like, I wonder if we're in a situation like in that show where this was intentionally released into the wild because it, it's like a calling. Yeah. You know, it's going to get rid of a lot of people, not everybody, you know, it's going to leave the healthy and the able-bodied, but it's going to sort of sweep the, you know, it's sweep off a lot of stuff. It's really weird to me that the people who are spreading this idea that it's not a big deal are the same mm-hmm. people who are honestly the most susceptible to it. Like yeah. the elderly and like, you know, whatever, Trump supporters. Yeah. Um, you know, that's Makes you wonder if that idea isn't being pushed to them. Exactly. Yeah. Because that's, someone wants to yeah. get rid of them. Yeah. It's like they're, you know, it's almost like you create one thing so the reaction is actually what you're going for it's the result yeah yeah and it makes me wonder too like you know one of the things that republicans or you know conservatives in this country are have been obsessed with for a long time is like social security and the strain that the boomers are going to put on kind of the social system like social systems and economy once they you know are all elderly um and they're very close very to that. close and so it just seems like a very convenient moment for this thing to suddenly appear, you know, it, and, and it's like, I don't know, like it, it ultimately doesn't really matter because it's here and we just got to do what we can to try to manage it. But I know Matt Christman was talking on uh, Chapo about how, you know, nobody knows how long this is going to last. Like this quarantine kind of thing is going to last. Um, but it honestly can't like, you know, there have been some estimates of like up to a year, but like, there's no way that'll happen because the economy of the world would just collapse if it, if it just went on for more than, I don't know, like four months or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So 
he was saying that he thinks kind of the idea is that eventually we're kind of going to be told, well, yeah, sorry, you need to get back to work. And if you get Corona, you know, I don't know. So sad. Yeah. Too bad. You know, and it's super grim because, you know, I've got, you know, my parents, while not you know, extremely elderly or elderly enough that, you know, they, this could be dangerous for them. Uh, you know, my, my girlfriend, her, she still has her grandmother still alive and she's quite elderly. And I, I guess it makes me even angrier in a conspiratorial way to think that like this could be an engineered crisis. Yeah. Yeah. It could be. And I mean, and also then again, it, it could not be too. It's like, if there's yeah. no way of proving mm -hmm. it, that's their thing too. Yeah. And but I like, do think it's going to be exploited. Oh right? yeah. It's, it's already it been exploited. Is. I mean, and look it, at yeah, the way they handled it. Starting to do it. Like with all those CEOs dumping stock. I mean, you know, you, you think mm -hmm. they're not related. I, I honestly see the way this is going to go down, and this is my super doomer view of this. Yeah, is that like, like you're seeing the whole thing with um, it's not really universal basic income, but the idea that you know, everybody in America is going to get like a certain amount of money to help them get through this, and what's wild is that it was like supposed conservatives who were first promoting this idea. And of course, the Democrats who can't get their heads out of their asses, like Pelosi and Schumer, are like squabbling over means testing this like small amount of money that's being offered, you know. So like, I, I think the idea is that it's like a cold, calculated thing by the GOP because they realize that come November, what are people going to remember? Yeah, are they going to they're going to remember that Donald Trump gave me the money I needed to to pay rent and and not be homeless, and all the Democrats wanted to do was take it away from me. Yeah. And I think that this is being co-opted and, you know, maybe it was engineered, maybe it's not, but it, I believe it's being co-opted as a way to basically finally stick the knife in the Democratic Party. And, you know, that, that sucks, but all this, honestly, I'm there for it too, because <laughs> the Democrats are awful, but uh, so were, so were the conservatives, so were the Republicans. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't really have a side anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just not on the side of either of them anymore. Yeah. A popular thing is, is, uh, uh, Bernie is the compromise. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. People are sharpening they, their guillotine blades. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I'm just I wonder like, is this gonna be a situation sort of similar to what happened in, in Germany after the Treaty of Versailles? Uh is the idea that this group of like and let's not be, you know, uh, too generous to them that these people who are promoting these things from the GOP are vile human beings, but they, they're they trying to kind of sweep in and provide a, like this basic lifeline of all like basic lifeline of things that we should have had for decades. Yeah. It, it's like an abusive that. parent. It's like an abusive parent. Yeah. They give you things just so they can, whenever you complain about anything whatsoever, that is legitimate concerns. They can yep. say, well, look at all these things I did for you. You know, you're a liar uh -huh. and you're ungrateful. Yep, and that's really and what I'm it just, comes from. Yeah, and, and I'm just wondering when the other shoe is going to drop, like because you're seeing like this sort of anti-Chinese sentiment, and I almost wonder if like that's going to be encouraged to the point where because I mean, let's be frank, all, China is going to be the only world superpower within ten years. Mm -hmm. You know, the U.S. is on a downtrend and it has been for a while. China is going to be the new world power. 
And it almost makes you wonder if it isn't like a reaction to that by the elite of this country, you know, like sort of creating this racial animus towards the Chinese and towards, uh, you know, the state of China. Yeah. Like calling it the Chinese virus, even though, you know, you probably shouldn't or the Wuhan yeah. virus. Yeah. Or it's the Kung, Kung flu or whatever. Cause like people are, <laughs> God, I haven't heard that one. That's awful. Dude. Kung flu is terrible. And I saw it trending on like Twitter for one day. And I was like, I really hate America. Yeah, <laughs> it was only it was only it was only on American Twitter that it was trending, nowhere wow. else. And Trump's just constantly like he's he's making a very like purposeful push at calling it the Chinese virus because it's like, yeah. and I explained to somebody the other day I was like trying to argue with them like they're like well it's not really racist I'm like it well inherently it might not be but what it is doing is is it's associating this virus with the Chinese and that will also incite bigots and their racism it already into, has in a lot of places yeah and it's, yeah. it's yeah, doing yeah. it and it's it's calculated and people don't understand that and it's like that's why it shouldn't be said because it's going to it's going to trigger that racism in a lot of people well what it's going to give is uh like a scapegoat to people it's going to yeah. give them they're going to think like oh the reason my life is bad is because of the chinese they're not going to think oh the reason my life is bad is because we live in a country that has not provided any of the basic services that we pay taxes for and is ruled by a class of people who speculate and gamble with our money and who have created a society that like in which the margins are so thin that even the smallest disruption for like a month completely tanks the economy and collapses it because of yeah. rampant speculation. It's like, they're not actually going to look at the real cause of like why everything is falling apart. Yeah. They're just going to look at the Chinese and say, Oh no, it's their fault. It's and they're, they're the reason. And really, it's the the Waltons' fault, you know, these people who mm -hmm. own, like, Walmart, who rely on welfare to take care of their employees while, they're, mm -hmm. while their shareholders and their stockholders are literally raking in all of this money. Mm -hmm. and, and the family themselves are just, like, amassing this giant dragon horde that honestly mm -hmm. belongs to their to their employees. Like, that money, like, mm -hmm. any money that the employees need to get to supplement their income needs to come from the company itself. Like, I don't understand yeah. why the government doesn't step in and say, you need to pay your people more. Yeah. Cause it, I mean, it's pretty, pretty easy explanation is the government doesn't care. No, it's government and, welfare. And, and, it's, yeah. it's, um, it's corporate welfare. It's like using the, the actual people to prop up these corporations. Well, I think the thing that this is showing too, is that there is no lack of funds, Right. Like mm -hmm. people, you know, like uh, both Democrats and Republicans um, like to complain about the budget and then about oh, the deficit and all this kind of stuff. But you saw how fake that was when like after the stock market took a huge downturn, you know, the, the Fed just like created what $1.2 trillion out of thin air mm -hmm, to try yeah. to prop it up for 15 minutes. And it's like, oh, actually, money's not real. <laughs> like they can pay for whatever they want. I just don't want to. I read an article. I don't know if it's been fact-checked or not because I didn't do it. Mm -hmm. But um, <laughs> I saw an article that said that the Fed's going to start to pump in $1 trillion per day into the stock yeah. market. Do you know how much yeah. money that is per person in this country? Like that's almost a spit on the neck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's like really you're going to give like literally thousands of dollars per person in this country. They're just giving it to these these corporations to keep the stock market going. Yep, yep, yep. It's wild. It's really wild. And, uh, you know, in a, in a just society, we would, you know, I guess, bail out 
airlines and these other companies that are failing because they've been doing stock buybacks instead of, you know, saving their money and nationalize them, you know, take control of them. But yeah. that's not going to happen. A friend of mine uh, just posted a video, Bill Duvendak, and he lives in Poland now. And mm-hmm. he's an astrologer, and uh, he just got back from the Left Hand Path Consortium. Mm-hmm. But he was telling the story about how he was kind of racing um, the shutdown of Poland from the UK. He was in the UK at the uh, at the event, and he had to basically like find a way into Poland before they mm-hmm. closed the border. And so he had this whole team of people trying to get him back into Poland. And whenever he actually got to Poland, like he said that their airline system was so much more efficient just because like there's only one airline because they've already yeah. done what you were describing in Poland. Yeah, just nationalized it. Yep. I, I mean, know. there's a lot of industries in this country that should be. I mean, honestly, like I think Amazon should be nationalized. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of a hot take, but it, it's, a, it's a utility. I mean, it works better than the Postal Service does. Yeah. Yeah, it, it should be. Uh, I don't think it. I don't know if it will ever be, but it no, definitely it, should be. Yeah. I think that once a, a company gets to monopoly status and they've lobbied enough for them to be able to like skirt all of these monopoly laws and antitrust laws, you know, if you get up to a certain point where you can have a Jeff Bezos, then maybe you should nationalize that and get that back into the people's hands. Just yeah. a thought. Yep. You know, uh, I'm. I kind of. I don't know. We we talked about a lot tonight, guys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll stick to just the lame. We kind of went no, into hey, geopolitics and everything. That's yeah. that's fine because I mean, like last episode, we just we talked about like the Hellfire Club. We talked about mm-hmm. like I don't know. We talked about so much, and we we always end up like we'll start being spooky in a cult at the beginning of it, and then it just mm-hmm. evolves into us like ranting about left hand ideologies and stuff. <laughs> so. It's 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 the way it always is, pretty much, isn't it, Donnie? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 really our way of easing. Like it's where we we use uh, we use like the occult is like a uh, is like sheep's wool, and then we're the mm. wolves of the left underneath <laughs> it. <laughs> well, I, I think so, like, I think they kind of go hand in hand. You know, it's a completely like you know inclusive, let yet liberating sort of ideology. You know, compassion mm-hmm. to your fellow person, and mm-hmm. also you know self-freedom preservation i think there's a lot of empathy in there yeah i think people who if you're curious about the lama and you you are more down with sort of my more left take on it uh there's a really good site that i'm I'm not associated with but i just i think they're the what they talk about is really cool they they kind of sync up with me on a lot of these ideas and it's called the thalamic union or thalamicunion.com i think you have a twitter account as well but they're, they, they run a great blog where they just talk about the Olympic philosophy, but they, they have sort of the same perspective that I have on it. And so if you want to kind of explore that, that, that would be my number one recommendation for people to go read some of the articles that that, that person posts. Yeah, that sounds great. And like if, if um, you know, uh, I, I mean, I recommend everybody that's listening um, every one of our members to kind of look at it. Cause I've been interested in it a while mm-hmm. um, ever since I, I read, I read the book of the law and to be honest, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't really understand a lot of it, but it's because I've read like, I've only read like once, but yeah. ever since then I've been really interested in learning more about Thelema. So I think the thing about the book of the law, it's hard to, 
it's hard to make sense of it if you have never encountered the lama before. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't speak to the quality of all local OTO bodies. There are quite a few in the U.S. So if you're if you're curious in what it's about, maybe look up and see if you got a local OTO body. And um, you know, maybe once if if things are ever back to normal in the sense that you can like go out in public. Um, maybe go to uh, Gnostic Mass, which is the sort of it's the, the OTO sort of religious performance of uh, like this sort of mass type thing that Crowley wrote. And usually, when I whenever I'm traveling and I go to a new city I haven't been to before, I'll look up and see if there's a local OTO body. If there is, I'll go to their mass. You know, I, I really enjoy the mass. I think it's like a beautiful ceremony. It's really cool to take part in if you've never seen it performed before. Um, but yeah, like maybe go check that out or, you know, like I said, read some articles on Thelonic Union and see if like this kind of thing jives with you because one of the, you know, one of the big things in, in leftist thought, right, is examining like material reality, you know, examining the material relationships between like capital and labor, um, being able to like think about like class from a purely material standpoint. Um, but the thing it lacks is like a spiritual outlook. And I think human beings are naturally like, spiritual people. You know, we're, we're all, we all have some, even if you say that you're an atheist, you still have some yearning for like more than just the material world, even right. if you want to admit it to yourself. And I think what the Lima offers is a spiritual philosophy uh, for like leftists um and maybe that's just me putting my own leftist thoughts onto this thing and then you know making it my own thing i don't know but that's the way i see it and i think that if you're if you are a leftist but you feel like you're lacking some sort of uh, a spiritual framework to better understand like your soul and and the world from that aspect Maybe look into Thelema. I know there's also like a strong Catholic left. And if, if that's your thing, like cool. But I'm just, you know, I've never been able to get down with Catholicism. Myself, so, yeah. Well, yeah, I don't want to go down that path. But yeah. <laughs> like, I love I love cathedrals. I, you know, when I'm whenever I've traveled in Europe, one of my favorite things to do is go to cathedrals. I, I use Catholic holy water that I get from the local cathedral here. But I've never really been I've never had any desire to convert. Yeah, system, so. it's 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 cool imagery, but it's just it's also, uh, it's I mean it's it's stolen from a lot of other stuff, but that's something yeah mm -hmm. that's something that we'll probably go into eventually at some point on this podcast too, is because yeah, we're I want to go into a pretty broad spectrum of a lot of things. So cool. But uh, well, Donnie, do you have anything else, man? I mean, I, I I've got we we touched on so many things today. Uh, I, I wanted to go over uh, Alan Greenfield. We kind of touched on him a little bit. I just wanted to uh, yeah. talk about the, um, you know, the secret cipher embedded into the Book of the Law. Yeah, yeah, sure. We can talk about that. Um, I, yeah, I mean, we could do that now, or you could come back sometime maybe, and uh, we could talk about it then. We've been going for about an hour and a half so far. Mm -hmm. But I, don't I know. mean, I could, I'm fine with doing a few more minutes. If okay, you're, fine. Cool. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely down. So yeah, sure. Okay, so, so for people who aren't aware. Um, if you read through the book of the law, it becomes very obvious that there is a cipher built into it. 
uh, in specific, there is this like long string of numbers and letters, and it has like a passage after it that says, you know, what meanest this, O prophet, thou shalt never know. One will come after you who will expound upon it. And the idea is that it's some sort of proof, but you've got to be able to decipher it. And later on in the Book of the Law, there's this page uh, that is, because Crowley was very specific when he said that if the Book of the Law was published, it had to also include the scans of the original documents or photos of the original documents. Uh, so every copy of the Book of the Law that you get that's legitimate should also have at the end of it, like photocopies of all the pages. There's one particular page that uh, has like a grid on it that he drew with like, uh, you know, letters and numbers on it and stuff. And you can kind of tell that it means something. And a lot of people had kind of considered the idea that the Book of the Law had a cipher or that it could be analyzed on a sort of gematria type basis. But the problem is you can't really use Greek gematria or Jewish gematria on English language, right? There needed to be an English gematria. There needed to be an English Kabbalah. So, uh, you know, large, like Crowley's successor, his magical child, Frater Akkad, he, um, he kind of figured out the first three letters cipher ALW, but he never really got beyond that. And it wasn't until kind of the 1970s that like some researchers, including Jake Stratton Kent, were able to figure out uh, the actual contents of the cipher. And it, it turns out that it's like a, it's an 11, it's like a, a cipher based on a number 11, uh, which is a number with like occult significance, you know, has the number of letters and Abrahadabra is 11. And like Imagine you started A, right? You count 11 letters, you get to L. You count 11 letters, you get to W. You count 11 letters. And you just keep going that, like, 11 letters down until you have gotten all the letters of the alphabet. And you also have then a number that's associated with each letter. And what's interesting is that there's all these correspondences within the Book of the Law itself to this, you know, ALW11 cipher. Um, in particular, that random string of numbers and letters I talked about before, if you apply it to that, um, I believe you get, there's two ways you can apply it to it. The first way is if you take all the letters of the, I remember this correctly, I think you take all the letters of the alphabet and you add up all their values, it like equals a certain number. And that value also equals the phrase English alphabet. And like, there's, there's like a couple other things, but it's basically like, I'm just trying to say it off the top of my head, but it's like proof that the cipher works. Okay. But what does this mean? Like, how do we, why is it important that there's a cipher? Um, what Greenfield, Alan Greenfield, he's an occultist, um, a thelemite as well. Uh, I guess he says he's like a former Thelemite. He's a former member of the OTO. Uh, I still think he's a Thelemite. But Greenfield had this idea that how should I say this? He, I, think, I guess he was looking at Greenfield's a big, a big like old school UFO researcher. He was one of the like sort of 
original crew of like UFO researchers. Like he was friends with Gray Bar, he was friends with uh John Geel and uh what was the other guy's name? Can't remember off the top of my head. But anyways, he was Greenfield was like friends with all these guys. Like he knew um Al Bender, for example. And he was looking at all of these like weird names that would pop up in UFO cases. Like uh Furcon or Ashtar or you know, Indrid Cold. And he noticed that it almost seemed like those names maybe had some double meanings to them. And then he started taking the ALW cipher law and applying it to these names and seeing what kind of values he could get. And then he started realizing that there were like connections between different names and words that were being told people by these, you know, UFO entities. And his theory is that kind of in every generation or in every, let's say, aeon, there's like a channeled text. And this channeled text contains a cipher that is used to communicate with the with the Illuminati, let's say, in the in the very most basic sense of the word. Like the illuminated people who are in the know. Um, occultists, members of secret societies, things like that. The idea is that these entities could, you know, say some kind of weird name or phrase to some random farmer out in the middle of nowhere who would have no idea what he's talking about. But then someone who was in the know, someone who could then look at that, someone who knew the cipher could look at that name and say, oh, this is what they're really saying. It's really like an encoded message. And this plays very heavily in like the Pellier narrative. Like, for example, I've talked about how anyone who's grown up in Appalachia knows that every little town in Appalachia is weird. Okay. Like the town I grew up in, uh, Coldwater, Alabama, uh, it's, it had stories of monsters in the woods and underground caves and all this kind of stuff. Every, every place has stuff like that. It's just part of America. Right. But not every town equals the number 93 yeah but hellier equals 93 okay and i think um my friend kelsey also was able to find interesting stuff about like the town named hellier also have some relation to like pan through like, an english poetry thing like there's all these like things that tie in to like the name hellier that make it more significant Right. I don't think there's even anything particularly strange going on hellier, but I think it's just it's it's almost like a proof uh, that something is trying to communicate. Yeah, and re- like reaching out to some to some degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and Greenfield's whole like thesis is that you can use the to basically get more information about like let's say UFO cases, paranormal stuff that you're investigating, like on, on a practical basis for that. Uh, so like give you a quick example of this. Uh, right before season one of Hellier came out, I was getting these weird emails from this guy in Minnesota, in Stillwater, Minnesota, who was telling me about like seeing black triangle UFOs uh, over Stillwater. And 
I didn't even think about it until I started watching season two flashback. And I was like, oh, Stillwater. That's the same place where the guy was like telling me about UFOs like last year. Wow. And so I, you know, looked at the name Stillwater Cypher. Um, and if anybody wants to play around the Cypher real quick, they, they show it being used in Hellier season two. But um, myself and my friend uh, Alan wrote like an online kind of tool to utilize the cipher uh and it's at naeq.io so it's like naeq like new aeon english kabbalah.io um, so i put the name stillwater into this got a value back and i saw that that value also equals like the phrase lust and power and then i looked at a map of stillwater and i was like oh there's a big power plant in stillwater and it's right in like across the river from the strip club. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's and awesome. There's like another it also equals the palace and Stillwater is known for the, like this place called the Alhambra Palace which is like this really famous like crazy mansion that was built by some tycoon in the 1800s. And it's like what Greenfield would say is that these synchronicities like these connections between the name and the values uh are kind of like letting you know that you're on the right path. And, you know, Greenfield claims that if you're good enough at the site using the cipher, like you can literally just like, find out injured Colt's address, you know, mm-hmm. you can walk right up to his house, which is what this uh, Terry wrist claimed to have done. Um, but, you know, like the cipher itself, here's the other thing that some people will bring up they'll mention that like there's also something like there's over like 2000 different ciphers that work within the book of the law. And when I, when I talked to Greenfield over Christmas, I brought this up to him and he said that, uh, that, that while that's true, it's better to just focus on a cipher, like one of them and focus on the cipher that's most being used. So I, like a lot of people told me, Oh, there's other ciphers and Oh, they also give interesting values, but I'm like, I kind of just stick to the ALW cipher. Yeah. You know, because I, that's too much. I can't cross-check 2,000 other ciphers for values. You know, it's hard enough to do it with one. It also seems like it's a little bit more cohesive. Like, mm-hmm. to, well, like, to me, it's like, it's it's a lot easier to follow. Because, like, whenever I, I first watched Hellier, I was like, what the fuck are they talking about? Like, I don't even understand this. Mm-hmm. And I, I had a pretty basic understanding. But, like, to me, whenever I watched Hellier, it, like sparked a fire inside of me like i it it awoken my wanting to learn more and gain more knowledge and i i did i went out i bought these books i've been actively trying to research some of this stuff myself and Mm -hmm. i mean it's just it sent me down a path as well and then i started looking at the cipher and it and i finally i finally realized how it worked and i was like okay well that's a lot more simple now that i think about it but Mm -hmm. Um, it is. It's it's incredible the stuff that you can get out of it. And I I I've gone to your website. I actually went to your web, the, that website before I even knew who you were. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. And and then I realized that uh, that you had made it. And I was like, oh, okay, hey, cool. Well, that's that's a weird thing that happened. And then like that was like whenever I was listening to um like where did the road go? I started listening to it, and then uh, I I heard Soraya say your name, and I was like, oh, weird. Okay, well that's that's another weird thing. I didn't know that you were on that either. So. it's just kind of funny how that all kind of connected too so yeah and i I think that's the whole point of the earlier thing right i've said it before i think on soraya's show that i think it's a recruiting effort because i think that 
the secret chiefs or whatever you want to call them, I, I think that they realize that the older secret societies like Freemasonry or even the current OTO have not adequately adequately created a new generation of people to kind of fight the good fight, right? Because mm -hmm. while I do think that there are sinister human forces on this planet that are trying to dominate and control people, I also think that there are also spiritual forces that are doing the same thing. You know, you yeah. can call them the Archons, you can call them the Black Lodge, like, and maybe they influence the people. You know, I, I don't think that necessarily like the elites are you know, reporting directly up to Moloch or anything. But <laughs> yeah, I just think that as above, so below, you know, like there are spirits who have our best interest in mind and there are spirits who don't. Yeah. And I think that Tellier is a recruiting effort to recruit people for Third Order, the White Lodge. Like, I hate the terms white and black lodge. It's just... I don't it's know. It's little, got this weird racist kind of thing going it, on. It's with weird, it. like because the white lodge is oh, it's the good one, and like yeah, the, or the black lodge is like the bad one. It's like just mm -hmm. just call them like I don't know, like I don't even know what you could call them, but yeah, I I, could, I see where you're going with that. Yeah, so. it, it can be a little dicey trying to use those terms, but I think people will know that I'm coming in with you know the best intentions. Yeah, <laughs> but I think it's a recruiting effort for basically the forces of like good and freedom. You know, like, and I think that certain people, when they watch Hellier, it will trigger something in their mind. Well, they'll start looking more into this because, because of the last, you know, I don't know, what, like two, three hundred years of scientific materialism, we've completely lost, at least in the West, a whole subclass of people who are trained in dealing with the spirit world. And just because we've been scientific materialists for the past couple hundred years in the West doesn't mean that the spirit world just went away. It's still there and still has influence in the world. And now you have a whole generation of people who have no way to understand or deal with it. And like that's why I try to get people doing magic. That's why I try to interest people in it and try to support them, you know, from uh, making tools for them to providing any knowledge that I might have. Because I think that's going to become like increasingly needed in the years to come, you know, like we're going to need people who know how to deal with, you know, both the spiritual world and the material. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's a dire lack of that right now. And that's what I, again, that's what kind of what I, I see my, in my interpretation of like the whole hellier narrative is basically like recruiting people for that effort. Yeah. Yeah, in Hellier, they called it a, an initiation ritual, and it was like, but yeah. who is it an initiation ritual for? And it's like, well, I mean, maybe the people watching the show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th there's one thing that, okay, so a lot of people like to look at Hellier and claim that it's, like, made up or, you know, and sure, things are edited, right? Like, you can tell by the timestamps in certain places that things are edited because it's a television show, and they're trying to make it exciting and interesting. Um, but I've never really considered it to be there to be any hoaxing because I look at all of the stuff that makes sense to me and obviously doesn't make sense to the new Kirks or anybody else involved, mm -hmm. you know, like, especially the stuff at the end of season two with the, uh, star Sapphire and everything like they don't like, it's obvious by the way they talk about it, that they don't know anything about this stuff. So how could they have possibly faked the possibility 
is there that somebody could be leading them on. You know, I was pretty vocal months ago about how I thought Greenfield was kind of the one pulling the strings. Um, after I kind of like met him and talked to him, I don't really necessarily think that anymore. Yeah. But um, I do feel like they're being led by something, maybe human, maybe not. And, you know, well, like the initiation, it's the thing that they never really say in the show and that I'm, this is what I believe. So everybody else make up their own about this. But again, I think it's the 93 current. I think it's encouraging people to become thelemites. But that's just my opinion, and people can approach that however they want. And again, Thelema isn't the OTO. So I'm not saying, hey, go join the OTO. Yeah. I'm just saying maybe you should, if you were really touched by what was going on in Hellier, it really like, sparked an interest in you, maybe you should look a little more at Thelema because the Thelemic current that is running through that show is like so strong even if the new Kirks don't even realize it. Yeah. And like, they've, they've gotten a following too. Like I'm, mm -hmm. I'm part of like their, um, they're like the, the paranormal, like the museum and everything and the groups and stuff that they have. And mm -hmm. I see like, there's just, they have, they have like, such a big following. And I mean, they're, mm -hmm. it's also because they're good people too. Like they're not like, yeah. they're very genuine people. And um, I'm glad that like to see that, because like one of the things that kept me out of the world of like the paranormal and the occult was just mm -hmm. like the accessibility of it. Um, yeah. I, I used to, I ran to a bunch of people that were really toxic uh, like earlier on in like whenever mm -hmm. I first wanted to get into it when I was like probably in my early, in my late teens, early twenties when I was like, was really interested in it. And like, I just got put off by it, but then I saw Hellier and it made me make this group uh, mm -hmm. for all these other people that are like-minded and into like the paranormal Mm -hmm. And it now has got me on this path where we're talking to you. So, yeah, uh, I, and yeah, that, and that brings up a good point. A lot of people have bad experiences, especially within the neo-pagan community. I know people like Sarah and Lawless have talked a lot about this, about the rampant like abuse and manipulation that goes on within neo-pagan communities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, it, that is off a lot of people and like rightfully so, I think. And it sucks because there are some people involved in, in these things that are genuine, like kind, caring people. Um, it's un really unfortunate that a lot of people have those bad experiences first and it turns them off from forever. But, you know, I would just say to people like keep an open mind and also like stay frosty with, uh, with other people, especially getting involved with the neo-pagan community there are a lot of bad actors out there and it can be tough, you know, I don't know, like beware of gurus, you know, yeah. like if somebody seems, if somebody tries to tell you like, you know, my way is the only way to think. And this is the only way, like, you know, that that's, that's a bad, bad scene. Like mm -hmm. one of the reasons I kept going to the ritual night at the OTO lodge up here was because my, my teacher there and now mentor Scott, um, from the very beginning was like, this is how I see things, but I don't know. Like, it, it doesn't matter if you see them differently from how I see them. I don't care. Like, share your results. Like, do it your way and let me know how it works. You know, he's like, obviously, I think my way is the best way and I think it gets the best results, but, you know, like, I'm not in charge of it. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, do, use your own, use your own head. And that was very, like, endearing to me because I was like, 
you do run into a lot of people who kind of claim to be the only way. Yeah. Even with like Wicca, I mean, Gerald Gardner started the whole, uh, mm-hmm. you know, this comes from a long line of thousands of year old witches and <laughs> just all that crap that people are just spewing these days. And it's like, come yeah. on, man. everyone who knows what's up knows that that's not real. We're the yeah. we're the we're the daughters of the ones you couldn't burn or yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. The whole idea that that it is a tradition is is nonsense. I mean, and this is not to like talk bad about Wiccans, yeah. whatever. Like, if you get something out of Wicca, like awesome, keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no reason. It's magic, like everything else. Um, yeah. But I guess don't fool yourself. Yeah. You know, like be accept like the origins of your philosophy or your system like there's nothing wrong with that yeah you know like it i don't know it just don't don't claim that you're the continuation of some ancient lineage like a lot of people worry about like appropriation and magic you know like oh i can't do a voodoo yeah we've talked about it in here a little bit but uh i'm I'm 50 50 on it it's it's like i understand why people want to be like conscious of it but it's really hard Well, be conscious of it just don't let it limit you yeah, like, you know, I, I don't have anything. I don't see anything wrong with me using like a voodoo spell or something. Like, if I want to make some hot foot because I need to get rid of somebody, mm-hmm. like that's fine. But I also don't claim that I'm a voodoo priest. Yeah, exactly. You know, like there's like certain lines there, and magic itself is appropriative, right? Like, you look at the Greek magical papyri; it is a collection of Jewish, Greek, and Egyptian spells. Like the magician who wrote whose notebook that was. Like didn't care where it came from. All he cared about was the tech. Did it work? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, because ultimately people gotta it, I think it comes from like people viewing magic as like religion or spirituality. When in reality it's like it's a technology. Yeah, it's tools you use to to hack your own mind and, and your reality around you. Yeah, exactly. So it's like you know, use what works. I've I've got this almost like, kind of like Bruce Lee, like Jeet Kundo view of magic. <laughs> I'm like, if it works, I'll use it. I don't care where it's from. Like, that doesn't matter to me. All that matters to me is the results. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of the heart of magic. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, magic is is a practical, or should be a practical thing. And yeah, it's, it's like fun and can be a spiritual thing as well. But first and foremost, like, magic is a practical thing. You use it to affect change or to communicate with spirits or like to do any number of things. But if you were doing something and you're not getting results from it, like you need to mix things up. You need to try something else because, you know, it's not just a, it's not just for fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of people get lost in the aesthetics of it and then they, they <laughs> totally miss the technology. Yeah. 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 Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, um, Seth. You too. Yeah, yeah. No, and uh, do you have do you have anything that you're working on that you want to plug, Rin, or anything? Uh, like anything do you want people to check out? I mean, if you want to check out uh, my blog, that's at uh, liminalroom.com, or you can check out the new Aeon English Kabbalah calculator at naeq.io. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at liminalbird. If you want to follow me there. Um, I've got a couple little things going, but um, like I'm writing an essay for a, a collection about uh, fairy lore that is going to be coming out hopefully later this year, and um, I'll let people know, you know, when when that's coming out. 
and I'm also working on a, a chat book for the tables of practice that I've been sending people. Uh, so it, it's kind of like covering the trithemian drawing spirits into crystals method, but like the sort of practical adaptation of those methods that we've been using for the last couple of years at Leaping Laughter. Um, but yeah, so if people want to follow me on Twitter, that's probably the best place to keep track of like uh, my projects and like when, when stuff's coming out, but yeah. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for, thanks for coming on and talking to uh, us, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for yeah. inviting me. It was a whole lot of fun, guys. Glad yeah. If you, me on. if you ever want to come on again, we'd, we'd be glad to have you. So awesome. All right. Well, Thank you so I much. guess. And, and uh, just one thing for the listeners, if you're listening to the program pre-recorded from SoundCloud and you'd like to join us live and unedited, we record each Saturday night around 10 p.m. or 9 p.m. Central Time in the Opco Discord server. You can listen live and interact with the host throughout the comments section, and your comments could be discussed on the show. That's the Opco Discord server. You can find the link in the comments section, and we hope to see you there. All right. Thank well, you take guys care, guys. Soon. Thanks, everyone. Stay safe. Yeah, guys. Stay, stay safe. Stay healthy. Stay frosty. And I will talk to you all later. All right. See ya. Thanks. See you, everyone.